Hebrews 11, 6. 11, chapter number, chapter number 11, verse number 5. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. I have always been intrigued with the man Enoch. He's not what you would call a major Bible character. In fact, you probably did not even hear about him in Sunday school because there's not enough known about him to actually fill a, a, a normal kid's Sunday school class. I believe my first uh, encounter with Enoch was when I was reading my Bible through for the first time. I was in the seventh grade, and I read it cover to cover in the seventh grade. If you have not done that, you should do that. You should be doing that regularly. It is one, I, I appreciate people who read different parts of the Bible back and forth, and you need to do that. But the consecutive reading cover to cover of the book is important to put all the things in sequence and to catch the, some of the stories that you didn't get in Sunday school. And Enoch is one of those. Um, other than in the genealogies, he's only really mentioned three times, uh, basically in one verse in three different passages. And I had forgotten when the Lord impressed on me Hebrews 11.6, that it was actually linked in this passage with Enoch. Here's what we know about Enoch. He was born to a man named Jared. He was the seventh generation from Adam. He had several children, one of which was Methuselah, who is the oldest person on record for lifespan. Enoch walked with God. He pleased God. He prophesied in Jude chapter number, uh, verse number 14. He lived 365 years, and he was taken to heaven by God without ever dying. Genesis 5.24 says, And Enoch walked with God and was not, for God took him. That's all we really know about Enoch. He walked with God. He pleased God. He prophesied. He lived 365 years. And he was taken to heaven by God without dying. But I think this morning, this very little known character can be a help to us. The title of this morning's message, Help from a Man Who Never Died. Help from a Man Who Never Died. Let's pray. Father, lots of things have been distracting this morning. And we fear only one thing, that we would be distracted from Thee. And we ask that You would not allow that to take place. You know that we are just poor, foolish, simple little children who couldn't discern our right hand from our left hand. And we ask that You, our great Father, would take us by our hand and lead us where You, you want us to go for we will not get there if you do not. And so we count on your love, your grace, and your mercy to do in this auditorium, in the lives of the people who hear, the thing that you desire most to do for them. 
We ask this in the precious name of Jesus Christ who purchased everything that we need. Before we get started this morning, I need to ask you two questions. These questions are very easy to understand, and they're really not very difficult to answer, except we often answer them without thinking. We answer them in the way that they should be answered, and without ever actually contemplating. But too often we answer these questions that I'm going to ask dishonestly. There's no other way to dis explain our lives and our actions other than we are lying when we answer these two questions. I know that at this time in the service, many people go into what we'll call the sermon mode. Your body is sitting in the pew. The expression on your face is one of interest, but your mind is not here. It is in a million different places. You know, just for your information, God is not keeping track of how many times your body sat in the pews of a church. He actually condemned the Jews for this kind of thing. He said, these people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. So please don't let that be said of you today. Don't go into your sermon mode. Let the Spirit of God work. So here we go. Question number one. Do you believe that Jehovah God, the Jehovah God of the Bible, exists? Do you believe Jehovah God of the Bible exists? Boy, you say, that's an easy one. I wish all the questions I get in a day were that easy. Don't be so quick to answer. You either believe or you don't. But it isn't just a simple question. The answer to the question has ramifications in your life. All around the, day, the world today, people are worshiping a variety of gods. Religion around the world is flourishing as we speak. Don't be so naive as some people are to think that we are all worshiping the same God, just a different name or manifestation. It just simply is not true. The God of the Bible is very exclusive. He said, I am the Lord God. Beside me there is no other. He is very exclusive. You can't just combine a whole bunch and say, well, we're just all worshiping the same the God of the Bible is one God in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And in order to believe in Him, you have to reject all of the others as being false. The lion's share of the people in the world believe in a different God. There are those who may believe that there is no God at all. Okay, now let me be perfectly clear this morning. I disagree with those people entirely. They are misguided and mistaken, and the way that they have chosen leads to damnation. There's no question about that. 
But at one level, you have to respect them. Mistaken as they are, they are at least living what they believe. The atheist who tries to take on the ills of the planet and solve the problems of the universe by the working of his own mind and hands, I pity him for that process, and that, what he's got, the burden he's carrying. It's an impossible task, but at least he is acting on what he believes. You know there's something wrong with an atheist who prays when time gets tough? There's something wrong there. And when he does it, you say, wait a second, that don't work. You either believe or you don't. You can't have some middle ground. And when a person believes a certain thing and they act on it and live that way, we say, that's, you may, we may disagree with you, but we can at least respect the fact that you are doing what you say. You were living what you believe. The Muslim who bows toward Mecca certain times every day, and even those who go on their religious jihads and kill people, I disagree with them vehemently, but at least they are living what they believe. The practitioners of the Eastern religions who spend almost everything they make sacrificing to the spirits of their ancestors to keep them happy are, in my opinion, wasting their money. But they are at least living what they believe. The fact is actually pretty simple. What we truly believe, we act upon. All around the world, people believe in false gods. And those false gods lead to damnation. But they are living according to their beliefs. So let me ask you this morning. Do you believe in Jehovah God of the Bible? Lock it down. Yes or no. He's exclusive. You can't add to him. You can't say this and that. Either you believe he exists or you don't. Question number two. The majority of the people in this room, I would dare say, said, yes, I believe in Jehovah God of the Bible. Question number two. Does it matter if he is pleased with you? Does it matter if he is pleased with you? Obviously, around the world, much religious work is being done. Lots of effort, lots of sacrificing, lots of giving of money, lots of time and energy expended. And all these things are being done to a God who doesn't actually exist. The people believe in those gods, and they're trying to please the God that they are serving. Misguided as it is, it's at least normal and logical to try to please the God that you serve, right? It's normal and logical to say, he's God and I must please him. These people are trying to please a God that doesn't exist, but at least they are living according to what's normal and logical. It is not normal or logical to have no care whether you please your God or not. It's hard for me to believe that anyone in this room who believes that the Lord God, Jehovah, the God of the Bible, exists, you would stand up and say in this auditorium, I believe in the Lord God, but I don't care what he thinks. 
I don't care if he's happy with me or not. Now, there are people who have that attitude. It's hard for me to believe that there would be anybody here with that attitude. It would not be normal or logical to do so. But does your life bear out your stated beliefs? What did you do consciously this week? You made a conscious decision because you knew that it would be pleasing to God. What did you not do this week because you knew God would not be pleased with it? If you did that, he would not be pleased. What did you conscientiously say? I am not doing that because that would not please God. Excuse me. What did you say that you knew God would not be pleased with? What did you consciously allow into your life this week, knowing full well that it would not please God? So I ask you again the simple question. Does it matter to you if God is pleased with you? I am burdened that our beliefs and actions ought to always match. It is far too easy to get settled into a good church, to learn the lingo that everybody speaks, to answer the questions that are, an- that are asked, to go through life saying all of the right things, but we allow ourselves to slip into a lifestyle that's contrary to what we honestly truly believe. We slip into a lifestyle that's contrary to those questions that are so easy to answer in church. We slip into a lifestyle that does not match. And we end up with, this people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Could that be said of you this morning? Yes, you can answer the two questions without any question at all. It's really easy to put it out there. But does your life, does your heart bear it out? Now, I think that Enoch can help us with this this morning. For in it we have a record of a man who pleased God. Look at verse number 5. Oh, that this verse could be written of us. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. This was the testimony that he had. The testimony that God gives of him and the testimony that he had in the neighborhood, he pleases God. In Genesis chapter number 5, we are told that Enoch walked with God. In verse number 6 here it says, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Enoch walks with God. And faith, this verse number 6 tells us, was the key ingredient to him pleasing God. Faith was the key ingredient. And then in order to come to God, as Genesis 5 states, to walk with God... We have to believe two things. Faith is the key ingredient. Enoch walked with God. He came to God. 
Okay, those two different words from the two different passages. He walked with God, he came to God, and there's two things that he had to believe. Hebrews 11:6. But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. See if you can follow the progression of thought. Enoch pleased God. The key ingredient of that was faith or believing. To follow in Enoch's steps, we have to believe two things. The two things listed here. To follow in his, Enoch walked with God, faith was the key, and he believed two things. That, that's what made up his, his following. What are these two things? Number one, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is. We have to believe that the Jehovah God of the Bible really exists. We have to believe that the Jehovah God of the Bible or exists. We've already traveled partly down this road, so let's go the rest of the way. The world today presents believing in God as something akin to believing in Santa Claus or the Easter Bunny. Like, in order to believe in God, you have to have this blind faith. You try to believe in God without any proof whatsoever. This is how the world presents believing in God. You just got to take this blind faith. There's no proof. You just got to accept it. You believe because you believe. This is neither practical nor accurate. So don't let them sell you that bill of goods. There is proof in the existence of God. We don't have time to cover this entirely, but we have plenty of evidence. Creation. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. All around you, nature is pointing at its creator. You take a telescope, and you look into the far reaches as far as you can possibly see, and you know what you find? The universe screaming at the top of its lungs. We've been created, see our creator. You take a microscope and go the other way. The telescope you go out, the microscope you go in, and you look as far down as you can find, and you know what you find as you look down in there? It's crying out to you, see my creator. The heavens declare the glory of God, the firmament showeth his handiwork, the voice is heard in every language and in every culture, nature is crying out, see the creator. You have to be blind not to see it. Amen. The Bible is crying out, telling you there is a creator. Jehovah God is true. You hold in your hand the only book of its kind. It is not merely religious writing. It is the word of God. And you cannot interact it without knowing this to be true. If you are willing to know, you will know that this is not a book of this world. I'm reading again the, 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 the two volumes of Hudson Taylor. And I, will pro I cry every time I read this story, and I'll probably cry in the telling of it. Because it just, it, I absolutely love this. It's so typical God. There's a Confucian man. He's an older gentleman believes in Confucian, the Eastern religions, and he's 
part of the teaching, part of the, the college they had kind of driving this thing. And he meets a young, Amer uh, a young China Inland Mission missionary, one of Hudson Taylor's missionaries. He meets this guy. The guy's just gone on the field. He doesn't know a lot. He's a brand new missionary. And he meets this guy in a tea shop. And they're talking. And the Confucian guy wants to talk about science and all this because that's what he was really interested in. And this young American guy keeps bringing it back to the gospel. And finally, the guy says, you know, I'm not really, I'm more interested in your religious, uh, your science books than I am your religion books. And the young missionary says to him, look, you have one of our copies of the Bible. I challenge you to go home and read the thing. And before you read it, you ask God to tell you if it's real, to reveal himself to you. He said, and I'm going to pray for you. The Confucian man says, well, that's kind of a dumb thing, kind of a dumb test, but I'm going to go home. And then he thinks, you know, the guy said he's going to pray for me. He goes, I don't even pray for myself. So if he's willing to pray for a guy he just met, I think I'll read this. I'll show him. So he sits down and he opens the book and says, God, if you're here, it's kind of weird to me, but show me. He starts to read. Multiple hours later, his wife comes by. He's in his study, and his wife says, it's time for bed. He says, just go on to bed. I, I can't let up what I'm doing here. She has no clue what he's doing. Sometime in the next little while, he comes to faith in Jesus Christ. He keeps reading and reading and growing, and his wife notices he's spending an awful lot of time in the study, and he knows he's got to tell her but he knows she's rich from a rich and very prominent family. And he knows the minute he tells her that he has given up his confusion and he's coming to Christ, the minute he tells her, he knows she's going to divorce him and leave. So he postpones and finally he says, we've got to sit down and talk tonight. Can you imagine how long the day was as he's trying to think through all he's going to say to us, knowing that he's going to be divorced as soon as he's done with the conversation? He sits down with his wife that night. She said, I got something serious to tell you. And he starts to give her a plan of salvation and what God has done. And his wife says, You mean you actually found him? She said, In the Taiping Rebellion, when I was just a little girl, they were coming, the rebels were coming, and I hid in a wardrobe. And I knew that the idols we'd been worshiping were not, they were running over. So there was no, the idols weren't doing anything. So she cried out, she said, I cried out inside the wardrobe, Heavenly Grandfather, which is what they called God. Heavenly Grandfather, save me. I don't know who you are, but you got to save me. She said, they ransacked that room and searched every part of that room but the closet I was hiding in. And she says, all these years I have wondered who saved my life. She comes to Christ. They put the, the twist on him. If you can imagine what a college would do to the, the head professor who's now on the other side, they put the, the screws to him, and all he does is just preach the gospel to him. He leaves that institution and becomes a flaming fire for the Lord in that area. His life totally transformed by somebody twisting his arm, by somebody giving a really good explanation, merely reading the book because it's not a book of this world it is God's book yeah. 
and it has an effect. If you will just go to it and say, teach me, Father, you're going to find out this thing is not of this world. It is a proof that the Jehovah God of the Bible is real. Another proof we have is to change lives. If I were to ask this morning, we don't have time, but if I were to ask this morning, where were you before you knew the Lord, and what happened to you afterwards? All across this room, people would stand up and say, my life was changed, let me tell you how. This is what I was doing, and look at what, <laughs> look what the Lord has done in my life now. I am a changed person. I am not the same person I was before I met the Lord. We could do that in this room all day long. We could go around this community and find people. We could go around this continent and find people. We could go around this whole world and find people that this moment would testify, Jesus Christ changed my life. God is real and he's changed my life. We have a whole history of that. And if you're going to say God isn't real, then you have to find an explanation for all the changed lives. How do you explain a guy like George Mueller who says, you know what, I'm going to live according to that book. I'm not going to ask anybody for money. And I'm just going to feed the orphans. All the orphans God will give me is he provides money. And the next thing you know, he's feeding a thousand or better orphans every day with no money coming in. Not to mention supporting most of the missions around the world at that time. How do you explain Hudson Taylor who says, I'm going to follow the book. And the next thing you know, he's got a thousand missionaries underneath him. None of them have support other than what God will send. And they won't ever ask for money. How do you explain that? In order to deny Jehovah God of the Bible, you've got to find an explanation for that. Good luck. There's, you don't have to trust God, believe in God with no evidence. The evidence is all around us. And you know what? You are the own, your own biggest evidence. Because you were created with a God-shaped blank within your heart. And until you put the Lord in there, you will be empty on the inside. You can stuff as much of this world into that blank as you want, and you will find at the end of the day, you're still empty. But when you put God in, Jehovah God of the Bible, everybody, there's lots of people here who testify, he fills up that void, and my heart is overwhelmed. You are your own evidence God has put within you of God, his own blank within you that can only be filled with him. My friend, you don't have to believe in God because, oh, man, this is so difficult, and I'm just kind of taking this leap of faith. The evidence is overwhelming for God. It's all around you. The proof of God exists, and your heart will not be at rest until it rests in him. God's revealed himself to us in a multitude of ways. We must believe that he exists. But number two, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Now I want you to take a moment here and restate that in your mind. Define what that means Restate that in your own head. What does that actually mean? He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. How does that actually play out? What does that actually mean? I'll give you a few seconds to re restate that in your own mind.
you're going to please God, you have to believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. What does that mean? Well, if we want to rephrase it, we might say seeking God isn't a waste of time. Diligently seeking God is the best, most profitable thing that I can do. He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. He isn't a waste of time. A few years ago, I was on vacation. I was watching some television, and a program came on that kind of interested me. It was about normal people who went to some gold mines or some other mines they went to, and they would go on their vacation and mine gold. A lot of the places they were mining, I had never been to, and so I've never been adverse to hard work, getting my hands dirty, and I thought, you know what? If you could go and mine, work for a week, but you could pay for your vacation by doing so, the kids and I, we could, and Carol, we could all go up there and do some work. Carol, I never gave her this plan, by the way. <laughs> it's a working vacation. Uh, but in my mind, I thought, you know, if we could get up to, you know, Canada and some of the places up high up west and maybe out lower west where they were mining, I thought, you know, if you could pay for it for the work, you know, you get a few days vacation and do some work and it could be a neat experience. So I'm interested. So I'm watching. Now I know hard work. I've done my fair share as is most of you. And I watched these people and these people were working hard. They had a machine there that they were shoveling, mostly shoveling dirt into. These people were working hard, harder than I'd really want to work. They were working for hours on end for quite a long, a pretty long day, and they did this for the better part of a week. And when they got all said and done, they got to split the profits. And that's the bottom line on, on this, right? And after working all week, they split the profits, they gave the guy his gold, and I think it, uh, my numbers might be off a little bit. It was somewhere around $40 worth of gold. <laughs> Vacation canceled. <laughs> that just ain't worth my time. I have worked cheap in my lifetime. <laughs> but even the old lady who paid us one penny for each dandelion we dug out of her yard paid better money than that. <laughs> I thought, I am not doing that. The time invested was not worth the reward. Understand? Right. And right there, you have the key problem in the Christian life. That's what we believe. The time invested isn't worth the reward. If you think, you'll be able to prove that 10,000 ways in your own heart. The time invested isn't worth the reward. And this is the exact converse of what the Bible states. He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. We spend very little time worshiping outside of our church attendance to worship God. We spend very little time of that. Why? Because it doesn't pay dividends in our mind. We skip services to tackle some project because we have determined that the time is better spent that way. We even sit in church contemplating all the things that we have to get done this week because planning the day's activities is more profitable than seeking the Lord. 
we do not actually believe that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. It's tough to face up to, but our life bears that out. We don't actually believe it. I wasn't planning on speaking on this till a later time, and I'm thinking that the Lord will have me speak entirely on this um, later on down the road. Daniel was here this week. He, they, he and Lanesh surprised us for a real quick visit, so it's good to talk with him. And he and I sat down. He's interning out there out west. And so we were talking about the ministry out there and ministry in general and the Christian life and our overlap. We're just having a good talk. We used to talk father to son. We still do, but it's now it's kind of pastor to pastor, which is kind of another unique twist in life. So anyway, we're talking. And not knowing that I was what I was even teaching on this morning, preaching on this morning, I used with him the verse Hebrews 11.6, this phrase that we're dealing with. Because we were talking about prayer. The Lord has been doing something unique with me, changing me over the last little while. That's, that's been kind of an interesting thing to watch. Many, many years ago, the Lord changed how I pray and my whole relationship with him. And so... I, Spending time with the Lord, it's like an all-day, it's like the conversation never ends. It's just kind of ongoing. When needs arise, it's just common, and it's just how life goes. I, I speak with the Lord all of the time, okay, throughout my entire day, everything I just bring to him. That's just kind of the way life goes. But for a long time, I have been, and I still am kind of against what we'll call a prayer list, Okay, that formal time where you get down and you, you read your list of things to the Lord. Because I found in my own life, it becomes a list. Do you understand what I mean by that? And you just go boom, 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 boom. And you pray, but there's what happened there. Okay, because you normally are preaching, praying generically, and you can't remember. You know, it's, and so I didn't do very much of that. But a while back, the Lord changed some pieces in my life to give me uh, some more what we'll call formal prayer time. And then recently, he changed it again. And I got a spiral notebook. And I wrote at the top my first prayer request, deepen my prayer life. I highly recommend that. I highly recommend putting that at the top of your prayer life, your prayer thing on this list. But what I did determine to do was I, will, I don't write down any requests that are unending. There's got to be an answer that can be seen. Do you understand what I mean? There's a problem. There's got to be an answer. And so I started writing down these things because the church is full of needs. My family's full of needs. There's always things that come up. Do you understand what I mean? That have to have an answer to them. Do you understand what I mean? Am I, anybody here with me today? So I begin. I, put, I write down the date. And then I write, I don't write down just pray for Daniel. Okay, I have my other, I do for that when I'm walking through the day. I pray for the kids all the time. Just open-ended prayers. Lord, watch out of them today and bless them. And da, da, da. But you can't chart that. But these things that I've been writing down, I've been charting. Okay, these are, these will, I'll know when these are answered. You understand the difference? I'll know that this got answered. And those are the only things I write down. It has been shocking. He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Some of the requests, I wrote it down. I'm praying about it. My phone dings. I don't ever look at it while I'm praying. But when I got up, the answer was already there. I said, wow, that was quick. Nice. 
Sometimes it's the next day. I write, see, I write it in. I write the date. Then when it's answered, I write the date, and I cross and put a line through it. Sometimes it's a couple of days, and hey, yeah, the Lord did that. And sometimes it's a couple of weeks. I've got a couple of things that are still on there because these are very complicated things, you know, that have to. I wrote one thing down on there. It was really depressing for me because I wrote it on there, and it got past time to have it answered. You know, it's one of those, lots of things have time limits on it, and it didn't get answered. So I put the X next to it and drew a line through it. And I was in a conversation with the person who was involved with this last week, and they said, oh, by the way, da-da-da-da-da-da. Oh, that was better than I thought. The Lord had answered better than I thought. So I had to go back through it. That was a joyful thing to scratch that out, put the date the Lord does. What am I trying to tell you? What is the Lord doing? He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And praying is not a waste of time. When you bring specific answer, questions to the Lord, not answers, by the way, do, don't, you bring your problem to the Lord, let him bring the answer. When you bring your problem to the Lord, he brings the answer to you. He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. If you're going to please God, you've got to believe that. You've got to practice that in your life, not just in your prayer life, but in every area of your life. You seek him. You put him first. And the other verse says, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. God is a rewarder of them. Diligently seek him. Think about all these things that are on these, this list that I've got, crossing them out. If I would have spent all of my time, if I would have spent all of my energy, if I'd have sat there in my office thinking these things through and make a few phone calls, do two text messages, insert a little of this and manipulate a little over here, you know what I'm talking about? The things we normally do? You know what the end result of that is? A lot bigger mess than when we started. But it feels like progress, does it not? And God says, I'm a rewarder of them that diligently seek me. And it's not time wasted. You want your problem fixed? Then spend it with me. Do your asking here. You need, in all of your life, the time that you spend seeking God is not wasted and there's nothing better you could have done with it this is what we got to get around we often think well it's better if i spend my time think about enoch enoch walked with god what does that mean he was diligently seeking god and what happened to him god took him translated him I was listening, to, it's funny how the Lord brings pieces together. I was listening to that, that guy I told you at the beginning, that old preacher. And he mentions Enoch. It wasn't part of the thing. I don't even know why, other than the Lord wanted me to hear this. He mentions Enoch in this thing. I don't even know I was even preaching about Enoch. But this is how he put it. He said, Enoch walked with God. And every day, he just got closer to God, walking with God, spent diligently seeking God. And one day, the Lord said, you know what? You're closer to my house than you are to yours. Why don't you stay over with me? 
And I thought, that's, that's what happened. He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. If we would seek a relationship with the Lord diligently, do you think that that hobby that you have is going to outshine that? Do you think that that project that you're working on is going to be more important down the road? God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. It's not time wasted. There is nothing that you could do that would be better spent than diligently seeking him. you want to please God? We say that we do. Well, faith is the foundation. We have to believe that he exists and that we have to believe that he is rewarder of them that diligently seek him. I know that all of us, if we had the quiz passed around, we'd all say, oh, yeah, 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 I believe that. But does your life bear it out? Does your day reflect it? Do the choices that you make show that you are diligently seeking him? You believe that the time in your devotions is not time wasted. This is help from a man who never died. Let me give some more help One to, to a different group of people here. I've been speaking primarily to people who know the Lord. If you do not know the Lord today, this man Enoch has some help for you today. It's interesting, he, 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 one of his messages that he preached is actually recorded for us in Jude chapter number 14. Did I say Jude chapter number 14? Verse number 14, there's only one chapter in Jude always throws me for a loop. And Jude, by the way, is the book right before Revelation, if you're having trouble finding it. Verse number 14, Jude 14. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousand of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Interesting. Jude speaks of the, sorry, Jude tells records the message you preach. You've got to remember when Enoch lived was right before what? The flood. That's a pretty hard message he's preaching there, isn't it? The Lord is coming back and he's going to deal with, see how many times you use the word ungodly? He's speaking to the people of Noah's day or the, the generation before that. Of all your ungodly deeds, of all this, there is a judgment day coming. Don't mistake it. It's the one message we have recorded from Enoch, something that he said. He was prophesying back in the day, and this is what he said. Judgment is coming. I'm gonna, he says, I'm diligently seeking the Lord, because he's a rewarder of them that, that seek him, and he gets translated. 
But he says, make no mistake, there is a judgment day. And all this sin that seems to be getting by today and all these things that are taking place and nobody seems to be taking care of it, it's all going to be dealt with. There is a judgment day. And if you're here today without the Lord, that message is for you. But I'm here to tell you, Jesus Christ is here to save. He has paid that sin debt and wants you to be in heaven with him. And he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. When you'll come to Christ, he will save you. And If you're here today without the Lord, I would beg of you to do that. I would beg of you to hear the message from a man who never died.